0: So, after the last uh, episode in which we got together in the studio to have nice, relaxed, and <laughs> very tangential at times yeah. uh, <laughs> candid conversation, we figured, why not have part two uh, in my studio? In Jackie's studio, yeah, surrounded by her beautiful <laughs> art and art products. This well. <laughs> be light over here, um, for those of you that can see it on YouTube. Um, and if you're listening, if this is your imagination, but yes. uh, anyways, we figured we'd make another one of these uh, special episodes uh, where we're just sitting with you. It's almost like you're sitting here with us, and we're talking all things, you know, art business, art life, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first time you're seeing, I actually changed the display of my art products which is something that I was so excited about. That was like my win for this week and my reward to myself for finishing this series that will be going in an exhibition. But it really got me thinking about like creative spaces, which I know you and I talk about all the time in terms of like how our spaces influence the work that we make. And I think especially, I just moved into the studio in July, so about two months ago, after having a studio in art space for a full year before that, realizing like how a creative space shifts the work that you make. Have you found that too, especially moving into your studio last year? Like how did you feel like that shifted your creative process? For mine, I think one of it was the more obvious uh, element of it is Mm -hmm. going bigger. Yeah. Having a bigger space. It's almost like the whole, uh, I'm trying to think what animal does this. Anyways, there are several <laughs> marine animals that do this. The bigger the tank the bigger they yeah, get. Yeah, like a goldfish. Like, yes, oh my goodness, let's did go you the see goldfish. that? Fish? Kind of off topic, but relatively on topic. Do you see that article about a goldfish that was like let loose in a pond and it grew to be like gigantic? Um, like feet by feet wide? Hold on. No, no, no. Uh, true story. Oh no. Over at Fantasy Lake Struva Park, I got to see it with me and eyes, they do have a gigantic goldfish. Stop. This thing. I wish I was kidding. This thing is like <laughs> probably this freaking big, and it looks glorious underwater. Aww. Like you think of a goldfish, and you're like, oh, I don't know. They're not necessarily cute. It's like that's there. <laughs> yeah. So it's either a goldfish or koi, proper koi. To so have Both a strong south. fish, people don't need us. For this. Um, <laughs> we're not fish experts. <laughs> we're not fish experts. But this thing, it's the sort you would have in a little tank yeah. in your house. And this thing, this thing's like. Three feet. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And that's like literally what we're doing with our artwork in our new spaces. Kinda. It's like the bigger the space, the bigger, potentially. Now that, mind you, not right. everybody has to go bigger. Right. Um, there's this drive with a lot of artists, <laughs> at least painters, where it's yeah. like, I want to go bigger, bigger, bigger. I think it's almost, we call it an ego thing in a way. I kind think- of like, maybe ego's not the right word. Maybe like that whole, I want to see if I can. Right, kind of feeling and, I and think, then once you do it then you decide yeah and I think I'm definitely in that headspace now in my old studio which was like a third of the size of my current one you guys on YouTube are just seeing like a small corner of it it's but it's big. basically like the third my old studio was a third of the size of my current one and I was starting to make pieces like when I was working in my apartment the biggest I had worked was like a foot by a foot and like I think I had done maybe a two foot painting, and that felt like huge at the Which time. Technically, you could have gone bigger and just put him in the dining right? And it got to the point <laughs> of like, there's like the storage aspect that you have That's to think of, problem. like the inventory of okay, like how many paintings can you make and store at one time, plus all of your materials and all of your supplies, and try not to get like too carried away in the space I was living. You know, I definitely did. <laughs> um but then moving to a public facing studio, which is so nice being able to have everything in one place. Um, but that space goes pretty quickly when you count for like tables and packaging material and panels that you haven't painted on yet and inventory. And on yours you've had, and I know you still do, your stations. Each right. station needs its own space, like admin space, packing space, yeah. space planning space yeah and yours is a little bit more like fluid but i'm very much the type where it's like i need to segment parts of my life so like when i'm doing this i am fully present doing that otherwise in the past i've tried to super multitask or do multiple things in the same area and it just like doesn't it's like an error code in my brain it's like i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing Yesterday I was doing this at this table, but now I'm doing this other thing. So I need, like, okay, if I'm at this station, I'm working on admin. And if at this desk, I'm, like, no technology is allowed. I'm, like, drawing, sketching, ideating. If I'm at this table, like, I'm actively painting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a little different. Yeah, you, like, have, like, 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 your laptop on your lap, painting, like, palette on the right side, like, your camera's photographing stuff over here. I'm just, like, this is is. chaos, but it makes so much sense to you. It is for me because I'm, like, (laughs) it makes it, okay, the way my space is set up, you know, maybe in a different space, it'll be different. Right. But the way my space is currently set up, there are a lot of things I'll take out. But then when it's time to go, or my studio mate is coming, or yeah. there's a like, public event, whatnot, I have to put things away. So when I take it out, I'm like, I don't want to have to take out to put away to then bring out something else to then put yeah. away to bring out to. Like if I could just leave it out, it's different, but right. I can't. That makes sense. Not the way my space is right now. So for me, I'm like, I'm more of a, no. But all the things that I'm going to work on or plan to work right. on or hope to work on. <laughs> and then I go from station to station. So like let's say I do a layer of paint and I'm waiting for that to dry. Yeah. Then I can work on the computer. Oh, you know, my eyes are bothering me, I've been on too long. <laughs> I can switch on and do something yeah. else. Oh, I'm gonna frame these cards, you know, whatever. Or right. our product. Um or have the cricket going, which or on that later <laughs> you know. Um so essentially, it's a multi-station, <laughs> it's an yeah, all thing station. Yeah, within like a smaller space. I think like that exactly. makes sense too, even back when— Yeah, because like, think about it, even though the way my studio is, it's segmented into a work area and display area. Right. When I'm in that work mode, I actually put it all in one space, which right. is the previous video, if y'all saw it, um, all the things were in the same area. Right. So it's almost like making a smaller triangle of stations, kind of like kitchens yeah it's just like Mine's one counter like, to the next counter exactly you go from like sauteing to chopping to like exactly prepping. but it's yeah. almost like it's all in the kitchen yeah. island yeah as opposed to going around like yours is more like you know ping pong stations over here right Mine's like imagine once more, more <laughs> giant thing and it's all happening in yeah life. and i think that does it's it is it is influenced too like by the way your studio is laid out like exactly. well one you are sharing a space so yep. it's like already segmented but then also there is a wall in the middle so it's like the back side is more like storage, storage or admin and all your materials in the front is more display and work area versus mine it's like completely open there is a back section that has like my desk and then like sink and refrigerator and stuff but yeah. really from the workspace area um it's really open which if you guys are listening to this we're watching it on YouTube. If you go to my Instagram at Jay Sanders Studio, I always post a bunch of pictures like of my space. I try to bring you guys into it, so you might know what we're talking about. If you look at those, um, there's another aspect to to your question, other parts to your answer. Yeah. So not just big, and not just affecting the way our workstations are set up. Right? Yeah, that station. <laughs> um, but I think the other way that it actually has done in a very good way, it has helped me cohesify, yeah. my style because you can see way everything at one time. Time. So yeah. at my old space at home, I mean, I guess the best I could do is like line up things on the hallway, right? But the it's lighting so wasn't that great anyway. So like, it just comes with challenges. So a lot of times you start making onesies, yeah, and oh, they should look similar, and then you put them together, and you're like, they don't quite the same right you're like you have the endpoints, but you don't have that middle progression exactly. per se when like if you're in a, even the space to like batch create pieces okay i'm gonna work on these six all at the same time like we talked about when we're in your studio it inherently becomes more cohesive because you can work on them at the same time yeah and so, like, you can also see like yeah works that you've made in the past okay i want to incorporate this detail from this and this concept from here what happens if like these two paintings were to make a painting, and then let's focus on Exactly, or how do they look next to each other? Do they talk to each other? Are they still related? So yesterday, you know, I was supposed to go home, and instead, what did I do? (laughs) I wrote out four paintings that are unfinished that are this close to done, and then I put them on the floor in front of the three I had just finished, in front of Ah, the three big ones, and near the smaller hexagon ones I was working on. Mm -hmm. So suddenly in my working slash display area have 15 paintings out at once. Yeah, girl. And I was like, those four <laughs> that sat had been unfinished for a few months. Yes. Suddenly, I had this clarity of, like, I know what to do. I can tie them in together. So being able to have not just the storage, but also, like, just the wider space, the open space, where I can look at the whole series almost together. Yeah. Not completely, but almost together it changes things. Then you're like, oh, okay. I know how to make this more cohesive yeah. with what I've already made without making any major changes. In my case, it was just colors. Yeah. I just had to tweak some so of the colors I use. Interesting. And, and that's, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've gone through that very recently as well, which is like with this series, if you're on YouTube, you can see behind us um, and there's a few more in the studio. But that actually ties in perfectly with something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because there was a series I made about five years ago for my senior exhibition. Adriana, you can see them here. They're really cool. But it was one of those, um, I felt so connected to these pieces when I made them. And it was what, 2015, after college, which I've shared on the podcast before, I just had like a crazy burnout, like didn't make artwork for two years type of burnout. Um, And so when I came back to the creative process of like, trying to like, who am I as an artist? What what do I want to make? What does this like new phase of creation look like? I tried to visit that series again, and I just did not feel connected to it at all. Like the style, nothing. And so I kind of like took a few steps back and started doing abstract um, backgrounds with then overlaying geometric shapes on time, very crisp, keeping lines simple and white. Um, which conceptually really connected with me a lot of the time, but I've always come back to those pieces. And I feel as though the series I've just been able to like relaunch is almost like an iteration of the new series. I began the Beauty and the Breaking series two years ago. It's like an iteration of that, but it almost feels like a bridge between my old series and new series. Exactly. Like if you were to like put them in a timeline, so I'm like, this is the transition into what my new style has become. You but instead, I'm like working backwards. Yeah, but wouldn't actually see it. It's like, right. they are sitting here in the studio and I wish we could show you yeah. they're too big to kind of like put in front of us. Um, they actually look, like if you didn't say how old they were. Right. It, I mean, they look like they fit with your current style. Like, yes, yes. there's slight differences in the way it's executed, but... The colors that you're using, yeah. your geometric lines and the, the textures of the like layering behind them mm. and everything else, it's like, other than the light component, which is different, and right. you guys will have to see that. <laughs> <much> <laughs> the light to. sculptures, yeah. yeah, which is really cool. I'm like, outside of that, well, even that ties in because you're still using like a plexi type material that you've used on some of your work Right, before, too. the light and shadow. Yeah, and- so it's like they actually look like what you do now right. in a way. So if they're sitting next to each other, they don't stand out like, oh, that's old stuff. Right. Which I think is like at all. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is really interesting too, of getting that removed perspective on like someone's work, which like we were talking about in your studio, I think shows so much like the value of getting outside feedback, especially when it comes to the pricing conversation, which is a whole different thing where it's like just because it feels like, oh, this is an older piece maybe I shouldn't price it as high versus like people, when they come into your studio, they don't know that. They don't have the history. And I think from an art making standpoint and like the concepts behind it, just like with your scenario where like, okay, I have these three or four paintings. I made them a few months ago. They might be like 80% there, but I don't know what the answer is to get them to 100, where it's, you might take three, four months to figure out what that missing piece is. And they sit there and just are, like, staring at you. Yep. But you have to almost go through these other paintings in order to know how to finish the old one. That's exactly right. Which and I think is a big it. lesson to learn. Yeah, and that ties into what we were talking yesterday about making 100 good paintings or yeah. 100 bad paintings to get to a good <laughs> one. It ties back into that. It's like as yeah. opposed through the process of making them, even the crappy ones can still teach you lessons on how to fix the good ones. Right. That are sitting there on finish and you're wondering how to fix them. Um, you can find solutions, it's almost like your brain is troubleshooting, which is part of what I love about the art making process. Yeah, you know, speak about <laughs> mystifying it, right? You know, there's this pervasive kind of like uh, common thought out there, and I keep hearing it time and time again that people think like that this is not cerebral at all. It actually so is. So much. Yeah. Even if we go full intuitive, but we're just having fun and expressing our feelings and whatnot, there's also a lot of analytical bits to it. Right. like, does it tie in? How about this? How about that? How about the texture? How about mm-hmm. the context? Even the stories, do they match each other? Right. It's literally like crafting a book, you know? It's like, do the characters like resonate with each other? Do they gel together? Do right. They it's not just, oh, I did this spring this thing and that's the end of it. Right. Which, like, it's just a hobby. That's fine. You know, you're good. Like, right. Who cares? But if you're trying to make a, a you know, what you make your income from. You know, right. You're trying to make a living out of it. There's so much more that, that goes into it. As a business owner, you right. have to make that decision. Going back to my pastry example, we're just going <laughs> to if yours is a pastry shop, you don't also sell pizza. Right. You don't also sell hamburgers. I right. Mean, if you're a proper pastry shop, you don't go, you still have a lot of freedom within the things that you do. Right. But you still stay within certain bounds. And it's like that's the part where, from an analytical standpoint, it's something we have to do. And that's something you've done. Because you could be here painting flowers with geometric aspects. Oh, yeah. To them. <laughs> um, or which again is like or that could be a style for someone else and like if someone critiqued my work with like, oh you should make flowers out of you these shapes you should add a bird to this right we're like I could uh, but does it fall to or does it attract you? right and I think that's one like a huge hurdle for a lot of emerging artists which again I think by there's always that conversation of like is art school worth it and that's a way larger conversation mm-hmm. but I think it The huge benefit of art school is that it fast tracks by necessity because they're your assignments and classes, it fast tracks that exploration process and it automatically exposes you to so many different mediums, so many different styles. And so it speeds up that process of figuring out what you connect with, what medium do you feel compelled to, because in one semester you might be taking a watercolor class and then an abstract painting class and then a sketching class and like you're exposed to them all at one time, and then you are able to pick and choose from there. But I think by, in order to find that style, I think that's one thing that so many, especially going from a hobby artist to emerging and more established, it truly is as like simple as it is like just making more artwork. Like you can't overthink it. You can only learn by the process of doing it and by like getting, those touches on like making a hundred paintings. Exactly. You can, nothing can like out-research like the actual process of making it. Correct. And for some people, they may try one medium and they fall immediately in love. Right. I know a few watercolorists that have nut touched acrylics, oils, yeah. coloring pencils, nothing. Yeah. They literally tried watercolors first, which is such a fun medium to work with. Right. Fell in love immediately, mastered it. They don't want to move and that is totally fine but my advice to be would be for those of you that are uh, self-taught which is not very everything about it we're all self-taught i was gonna Whether say go to i was like not. well everyone like you because the creative process is so much about you and your experiences and what you bring to a table exactly yes and you can learn to do the painting
1: the pain right. part
0: and teach yourself right you like, like yes you can learn specific techniques from classes or like specific watercolor washes exactly but again yeah i think that's that larger conversation of like especially this day and age with like youtube and like online courses yeah. and like art like creative memberships online we're like okay i'm gonna take a six-week course on watercolor from this person and it's all online it classes yeah so like there's so much and that's such a gray area especially now with so many universities going virtual exactly where it's like what's the difference between that and paying 40,000 a year well, to go like, to this university. If the college gives you the access to <laughs> someone that's a master of the medium, right. that doesn't mean those same masters also teach independently. Right. You don't go through the red tape and can teach online as well. So right. There's, there's different school of thoughts on this and honestly a larger conversation, but for now what yeah. I'm say is, you didn't go the school route? I didn't. I, right. I took art classes in college and high school and all the things. Um, But I didn't, I didn't know, I don't have an art degree, I have a business degree. Right. So, I would say if you're in the camp of, I'm not going to do art school Mm -hmm. or can't do art school, whatever your situation may be. At least experiment with different yeah. things and YouTube is free and give it a good old fashioned try. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to buy high end stuff to try stuff out. Just or do watch like a, a one time like weekend workshop where like maybe they supply the materials. Or maybe one of those tools. um a mixed media workshop. Those are usually fun because yeah. you're playing with a lot of different materials in the same class. Right. So if you find one of those, I guess that would be my suggestion and see what falls to you. And then you can invest in materials exactly. to experiment yourself. Yeah, a lot of times those classes will be like we're going to use watercolor and we're going to use uh, pastels, and pastels and ink and um, water soluble pencils yeah. and acrylics and stencils and so, yeah all the <laughs> things. Uh, at least that's kind of like a taster course, right? It'll give you an idea. Those I would suggest to do in person if possible. I know COVID makes it harder, right? You don't have to buy all the things usually a lot of times they'll right. have it right there or oh, they'll tell you exactly what to get right and you get to try these different things out and then go from there but like we were talking trying back to it there is no shortcut
1: yeah. even once you
0: find the one that is calling to you you still got to make them right and i think I mean, not at once yeah <laughs> you just still got to make a lot of it before you're not just familiar with it but then also like comfortable enough to start incorporating new things. Isn't there a saying out there about it takes ten thousand hours to master? Yeah, cool. exactly. That takes a while. <laughs> and like, I think especially it's interesting from like the art making process, kind of going back to the idea of like having paintings that get like eighty percent there and then you hit a block of like what that looks like and what that feels like. Because I mean, I have some paintings I've been like holding on to for like three years at this point. It's like. I'm not necessarily the type that like paints over old paintings. I try to like just hold on to them and see where they can evolve into, or maybe that becomes. I thought it was eighty percent done, but I find okay, that's actually just the first twenty percent of like this new style that I can incorporate, or vice versa. It's done, right? And you're Sometimes like, you wait, like three years later, you look at it and you're like, why am I not showing this? This is done, done, right? And maybe you weren't ready for it, or vice versa. Maybe when you made it, that was like the one anomaly, and then now work has built up to become that. That's a exactly, good point. because it's like in a way sometimes painting. So I, I usually don't paint my paintings over completely either. There's yeah, maybe five <laughs> that I've ever like completely painted over, and still I didn't get rid of everything. I used to texture right as like a cue to the next thing. Um, but yeah, there are times that you're going to have this painting, it's just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. It almost acts as a milestone, no, that's not the word I'm looking for, almost like a time capsule. Yeah. That's and what I was thinking. Almost like a sketchbook where sometimes you do something and years later you yes. go back and look at it and you're like, that's what I'm doing now. I know. So maybe it wasn't ready then and maybe it is just the 20%. But maybe that's what you were aiming for, and mm-hmm. you just didn't know how to replicate and make more of it. So it just stood out as a one scene and just leaving on Right. But now you're bringing it back with your new skills, your new... All the things you've acquired since, mm-hmm. all the new knowledge and experience, and now you're evolving it. I don't know. To me, it's really no, exciting. I'm like, I'm no, I stripper, think that's so, like, don't throw your old paintings out necessarily. It they not really bad. Right. And I think that's that's a super interesting point, though, because from like the creative process, like actually making art and the concepts behind it and the technique needed to bring those visions to life, I think um, I can't remember if we talked like on video or this was before we recorded yesterday about sketchbooks and the idea of like it was instilled in me super early on, like from like high school of like keeping a sketchbook and the active practice of that. And so even in high school, my professor was saying, like, you're never going to be able to bring to life every vision that you have, but make sure you document it, especially when it comes to, like, the words or ideas or concepts behind the work, um, emotions that you want to express or, like, what do you want to be, like, known for, because, and I think that was super helpful to have so early on in my, like, creative development, now looking back, 10 years that was 10 years ago which is wild um but think like there are (laughs) there are like concepts um that i was writing back then that like i am still exploring now which is super interesting to have that as like as a time capsule because technically like my skills were not at the point to even know how to translate these ideas or like what that would even look like. And I was so early on and still experimenting or like mimicking other like old master styles to see what I connected with, to then have my own spin and voice on it. And so it was it's really cool even looking back now because even the series that I'm now returning back to, the one I made five years ago, those originally started, which I didn't realize at the time I had sketched out a handful of them, like my sophomore, junior year of high school. Wow. And it was a sketchbook. I kept it at home when I went to college. I didn't even look at it. And when I moved to Raleigh after college graduation, I found these old sketchbooks. Years later, yeah. And I was like, this is wild because I do not remember sketching it. It was four years before I had made this series. But it was like, there were definitely components that directly translated into this series I had made. So yeah. now I'm like, almost curious, I should go back in those old sketchbooks. It's like, what even more so is connecting to what I'm making now? Yep. It, it's very interesting, seriously. It's like literally those sketchbooks are like time capsules. Yeah. And, and I think that's when you know you're on the right track too. Yeah. It's like, clearly I connect with this style, this geometric aspect, or like these concepts, because even without thinking about it, I still return back to it. Even when I tried to deviate. Everyone's like, yeah, that's very clearly your style, even though like, oh, I feel like that's not uniform. And like all those things that you have as a young artist, like I want to make a cohesive series. And people are like, no, it's very obviously you. Like it's, you don't know anything else besides what you think. Well, I'm going to say, I also have a, uh, maybe controversial right. advice about sketchbooks. Oh man. At least have one that you're not showing to anybody. Ooh. Not online, nothing. Don't put that pressure on yourself because then you're, you start thinking about it needs to look good for whatever. Oh, that video yeah. For social media. So there's two ways you can, I feel like you can handle this. You That's can either do loose sheets, and I do that yeah. a lot of times. I'll buy a, like a mixed media pad where the sheets come off, and then I curate what goes into a sketchbook. So I can right. cut and paste it in mm-hmm. if I want it to be for show, like for anybody else to see. Okay. Um, and or I want to curate, say, a series of like books. Uh, Call it like a lookbook, right? Yeah. But for your art, where you're like, there are certain marks I like to do, certain colors, certain color mixes. Almost like a Pinterest board that summarizes your art. But in a book. In a physical form. Yeah, which I want to do that and like have thoughts about my art and things like that. But that's more of a. Like, here's a summary of my style and who I am as an artist. Exactly. Exactly. So something that they can look back. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's something I want to build at some point. Because this exploring heritage series I keep working on, it's not stopping anytime soon. So I'm like, I'm at this little document. That would be a properly. great chapter in when you make your like table coffee table book of the heritage <laughs> series of like the chapter of like pictures of your sketchbook or like marks and different color swatches on the oh, page. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, that. I can vision it's it now. Co- it's gonna be cool. Ah. I hope. I don't know. It, it's on the, <laughs> this thing has been on the back burner for months, but it's I mean, gonna the help. amount of paintings you have in that heritage series—oh, it's enough to fill. I books. was gonna say you could definitely do. You <laughs> should put that on our vision on our vision board. Yeah, make it happen. When should we publish our coffee table retrospective books or time capsule for a series? Early 2022. first quarter. Time, All right, got it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Coming <laughs> 2022. 2022, That's next year. 2022 is not that Four. far. I know. We're I did already third quarter. I know. That's crazy. So I did that's have like less. It's about six months. I did have on less. my, I guess, July. I like, I don't know why. I don't like setting. This is very off topic, but still relevant. Like, <laughs> I, for some reason, have a hard time setting, like, annual goals in January. I think because it's like, there's so much of a push to, like, the year strong and all of this stuff so like i'm so focused on that so by the time it comes like january one i'm almost in like recovery mindset still like i like i think it might be the athlete mindset now that i think about it where it's like if you're running sprints you don't like stop at the line you sprint to the finish line and it takes a little while to slow down after that It's like you run all the way through and so it's almost like through the end of the year come like second or third week of december i feel like this conversation of like what are your new year's goals gonna be like i can't even think about the new year because i'm still pushing like i'm still running through those last two weeks so i find that it's easier for me to set whether it's after like the first quarter so like march or even in july to set my annual goals almost in july but as we've talked about in the past even setting annual goals can be difficult almost like set them every three to four months what do I want to do in four months yeah I've but all got... that being said I set a goal for like next summer to publish some kind of book yeah so maybe this coffee table book is it or if it's written books I don't know yeah well okay so another thought about that I feel like when we're around this time of the year you know September October type right like time frame that's when they start planning. Roughly like in my January, February. Yeah. Because I'm like that's it's like when three, four months in advance. It is, because it's like that way you you're almost kinda of doing a what works for me this year type thing. And if you do a quarterly review, which some of you may or may not do. Right. Um when you get seasonal, quarter, if you think more in seasons. More in seasons, yeah. It's kind of a way for you to recap, okay, what were like around this time of the year. This is around the time of the year that I look at what I plan for in January. Yeah, what I put in writing. So I use January as to put it in writing, but I reevaluate my goals during the year. Yeah, because some things I'm like in January I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna go all out and pick these are all the things I want to accomplish. Right but in life in the year. Yes, yeah. But life happens, and some you know big goals that we set for ourselves they may or may not happen, or they're not as important anymore, or the they happen learner, sooner it. than you think. Or that. So, around this time of the year, I start thinking kind of like, what's my sprint list? Speaking of sprints. Oh, yeah. What do I have in my list that hasn't been done yet, that I've had nine months to do and I haven't got the chance for right. it, whatever That is reason, still a priority. That's still a priority. Do I have time to do it in the last three months of the year and if so, where do I fit it? Or does right. it turn into, I'll reevaluate in January. Right. So, I don't use January as a you all the things I'm gonna do and I'm gonna pop them right now Yeah, it's all set. I will set when I want to do them in January, but also with the understanding they're gonna move around. They're gonna move. Right. Oh and or get back burnered forever. And that's fine too. Like I've come to that acceptance. But it's never gonna go as planned. No. Oh no. But I'll say the other funny thing and fun thing about doing it is I feel like January is like good for manifesting in a way without sounding too woo-woo. Okay. Basically saying, like, this is what I want to do. I'm gonna put this thing in writing and I'm gonna work towards it. But right. I don't necessarily look at it again for months. So I just did this a couple days ago and I pulled out my big goals that I had oh, set yeah. in January. I remember that the big board. Yeah, you remember yeah. how I like, do some stuff like in big and then I put yeah. it in a little journal, whatever. But I went back and looked <gasps> at what some of my big ones are, and I was like, "Oh my god, that, that was January." Check, check. That feels like yesterday. Well, and that's the other thing. So that's what was crazy. different is I did not meet my timelines. I'll say that for some of them, right? So there was one about making twenty pieces in a series. Check, check. I, mean, that, <laughs> I, I made sixty pieces this year. I literally wrote, <laughs> "Make twenty by March." No, no, I gave myself more time. I was, I was like, like, you did like 30 in January, your 30 yeah, series. Yeah, I know, that's what's but crazy. I think But it's like, I went back and reevaluated because my goal, it was like studio facing goal, right? Yeah. And my goal was like, oh, I have to make this many paintings in this series, and I want to make at least 20 right. to show them. You ready for this? I could look Stop. this up. <laughs> you ready? Okay, I'm getting like so getting... hairs. <laughs> I said to show them October, November. When oh. are we displaying? Oh my goodness. The, no way. The, yes way. October. I, I will literally go and show you the face. You see, That's like, amazing. That like, this is insane. This is yeah. insane. Again, I did this in January. So by not looking at it throughout, I mean, honestly, it probably would have been helpful if I had to tack it, tacked it up on right. the side of like, so you're the looking at it so I can see like where I'm lined up, but I didn't. So it's like, I had that, I had several other things on the list. I don't have it in front of me, but honestly, That's looking so back, I'm like getting like the hairs up. I'm like, some of them, I'm still not done. I'm right. still in the process of where I was like, I'm going to do this in April or September and I still right. haven't even started. Right. Or some of them, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, at the end of the year and I've already done them. So it's, right. it's that balance, but I feel like. Setting that intention, there's like putting it out there. Is that yeah. like a huge thing? I think also but I feel it's also your brain and your mindset, it's right? Like if a brain is in many ways so like a computer, and it's always trying to remember it, shoot, you're like, this is what we're gonna do, like kind right. of story. I don't know how, I don't know when, but we're gonna do this, right? And, you know, kind of thing. Then it helps you recognize the opportunity when it comes up. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. thing, especially because like in similar. For I had set for this year, like earlier in the year, I had a huge push of like, I really want to do a mural. And that was like a huge goal of mine. I did not know that I would be moving studios, which was like a huge undertaking. So, like, that kind of to the back burner. But this summer, on like, it was a Facebook group, like a Raleigh artist Facebook group, there was this opportunity for like the Garner Art Around Town opportunity. So, yes, it wasn't a permanent mural, but basically they had a bunch of local artists make these four foot by three foot panels that are now on display in downtown garner for a few months and so like that's a public art display and like thinking about they they think of it as a mural right it's like a a temporary mural project yeah exactly right and so it's one of those if i hadn't almost like acknowledged to myself that that was even a goal and that was like so unobtainable but like that, I definitely would have just like kept scrolling past that post. But because in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I did set that at some point this year, and then that popped up, and both Adriana and I participated, and it's like an amazing display. But I wouldn't have been, I think, aware of that opportunity if I hadn't set that intention in January. You it's like crazy how, crazy how it comes up. So one of mine was to paint like ridiculous big. Yeah, AKA, it could be a mural, or it could be a giant ass painting. I, I don't care. Like I just want like a huge, huge, like <laughs> ridiculous big. Like, like, can I do this? I want to try the physicality of like having like this giant brush, and I'm just like you know, get a workout in. Oh, my God. yeah, be sore down. at the end of the day. I don't care, but <laughs> sore and happy. You know? yes. like, oh, I'm just that now. <laughs> um, but it was really funny because that was one of my goals. I didn't necessarily write mural. And then you told me about that opportunity for Gardner, which then opened up another opportunity yeah. that we're waiting on funding on, but it's a mural as well. Right, exactly, and it's huge, huge. Like that will be, and that's one of those things, yeah. especially and like with or, the timelines of like, okay, even if you don't necessarily start and that project not this year. year, yeah, but like a lot of these projects. Yeah, like whether it's murals, whether it's a solo exhibition, even some group exhibitions, like applying for group exhibitions that might not even take place until the end of 2022 or 23 even, to where it's like that process, all those timelines are different. And so it might not be finishing or completing the goal at that point, but it's getting the proposal together, making your pitch, photographing artwork for samples, like getting all that stuff together to get it, the process moving along. Yeah. Which like if that wasn't even on your radar, you wouldn't even be thinking about getting those proposal materials together, and now you're better equipped for future opportunities too. I'm also working on another one. Yeah. Also a mural project, but it was really cool looking back because it's like, you and I talked about it, and we're both like, "It would be so cool!" Right? And it's almost like you know we set that intention. Then all yeah. that excitement, all that energy, all that positivity. We're like, Whoo! "Yeah!" And then suddenly, like these opportunities come up. But again, it's a mindset thing. You're not going to recognize the opportunity when it comes and knocks on your door if you're not like if you're not aligned with it, right? Like. Now some things are going to come up, and you're like, mm, "Man!" Like. No, right. No, thank you. Let me pass it on to somebody else, and that is totally fine. But if you're already clear on what you want to do, and we've talked about this before about like defining success and what it means. to Right. So you, if what, you've already like, set what your north star goals are, right, and you're like these are like the main main things, and that's where I think January is useful because everybody's in that new year right. energy type of Casting the vision of what's possible. Exactly. And what you if you want, at least have. Uh, on a broad level, you don't have to go super yeah. detail. Although honestly, I'll go into that in a second. <laughs> the more you, detail, the better. Sometimes. Actually, yes, because if you're already trying to reverse engineer what some of the steps are, even yeah. if you don't go, even if you don't know how, right like maybe you're just like googling some of the aspects of it. Of like, okay, say it is an exhibition. Right. Okay, you got to reverse engineer it if you want an exhibition. How many pieces do you want in it? Right. Ideally, what's your theme? You know, what's your story? Again, right. you may what not series not You want to develop like yet, yet. Yeah. But you're still working on it. Then you got to work out what kind of venue do you want it in? Is it a gallery? Is it part of, is it like a studio building? Is right. it in a coffee shop? Like, where is it? Um, building connections to those who types do you of need places. To talk to, right. Yeah. How do they open calls? Is it something where you talk to the coffee shop owner right. or a performing center or whatever it is? Or do they open do they calls have, every six months? Yeah, do they have a form you have to fill out? See what I mean? So it's like there's a lot of research that goes into like even just by setting that goal mm-hmm. and then tells you those action items afterwards. And you can break it into smaller like size. Right. Device. To where it's like, okay, set that goal in January. February, I'm going to go to like, let's say it's a coffee shop, for example. That's maybe an easier one in terms of approachability. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna to go to ten different coffee shops this month. Assess do they have local artwork on display? Maybe get a point of contact from them and like assess these are like the top three I'd want to be in. Then by March, say, okay, I'm gonna reach out to all those people and schedule meetings with them. By April, I'm gonna make sure this number of pieces are done, and then like maybe by July, have them on display. Exactly. So it's like you can then reverse engineer that larger goal. And, like, set yourself up in the tangible monthly goals. Exactly. Somewhere. And even if you're like – because it's going to happen, you know, when you're depending on a third party right. or a second party, there are chances that they're like, oh, no, we're booked for the whole year. What happen." Right. Or responsiveness is not great. And you're right. like, please, <laughs> I <don't> know, this <laughs> answer me! Answer <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears> me! <throat> I'm sorry. Yeah. So it may happen. It's the fact that you at least did the legwork for it, it makes it way more possible for that goal to be achieved. Again, right. even if you don't know all the specifics yet, like you said, if you break it into smaller, bite-sized goals mm-hmm. that feed into the bigger one, then it's not that whole feeling of like, there's this giant goal looming around right. the corner, there's this big mountain and I don't even know how to get started and now I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to right. do no, I'm stuck and crazy and nothing <laughs> happened, you know? Yeah. If you're like, no, I can take this fight and you look at your giant never ending to do list. Right. If you're working you can schedule, schedule a goal, exactly you can say, Okay, um, how much social media can I cut back on? And or Netflix or whatever you're into. Yeah. What can I cut back into a little bit? I need 30 minutes of focus time to work towards this goal. Right. And that's one thing that I think we talk about a lot in the level of artist membership too, yeah. and what we're focusing on now. Is like, what are those core components that as a business owner and like a career minded artist that you need to like having your C V on hand and updated, having your bio statement, your artist statement, and these core components that will make all goals easier because you're like equipped with the tools so that the project doesn't feel as like big and daunting to where, okay, you're trying to write about your artwork in the 11th hour of a plot making this application. Whereas like you already have these core pieces where it's just like a plug and play at that point. Exactly. Because realistically there was a quote, it's like one of those super cheesy on the front of like a journal quotes, but like it's true where it's like a goal without a plan is just a dream. I love that. To where it's like, unless you schedule it, unless you have an action plan, it's just this, oh, one day I would love to do this dream. But if to make it a goal, you have to schedule it and reverse engineer your goal to make it happen. And I think that's a big shift of like what is just a hype dream and what is a goal that you are working towards. I found a different version of that the other day. I may mean, misquote it, but yeah. it was like a business flavored one. Ooh. But it was similar <laughs> to that, and it basically said, um, a dream with a plan is a business. A business without a plan is a nightmare." That's a fact. I was like, <laughs> what? It was something That's, like, yeah, that. yeah I, I was just like this interesting is freaking, and it's true. And and I think about th- it. Yeah. Business not, have a plan. Oh my goodness. And and it's not going to work. And there's so many businesses like that, especially I'm in this new um, launch Raleigh business course right now, which is so amazing. And it's really talking about, okay, do you have a business or do you just have a very expensive hobby? Exactly. And I think there's a big disti- like distinction between it. And if it is a hobby, that's fine. There as are like, as long as it's intentional, yeah. right? If it's intentionally a hobby and you're not like stressing over, like, why is this not making me money? If that is a goal of yours, then like, okay, but are you treating it like a business? Exactly. Do you have those components in place? And especially with the level of artist membership, I think that's one of those things. There are so many talented artists out there. Like we know so many amazing artists and people that we follow on Instagram or on Etsy and like all these places, but it's like, do you have those core components to make it a profitable business? Yeah. You got to treat it like an actual job. Right. And that's one thing I think, especially with like your background in business and both of our backgrounds in marketing, where it's like, they don't teach you that in art school or if you're a self-taught artist, there's less resources about structuring the art business, which is why I didn't mean to make this like a plug for level Up artist membership, but like, that's why we like, we found that of, we realize how important that is to where it's like, I love making artwork, but I also need to make money to keep being able to make artwork Um, in order to fuel this hobby. Yeah. And for me, it turned into, once I came to the realization, this can be a job and this can be a share of the bills and I can surpass my previous nice income in corporate America by doing what I love all the time. Why wouldn't I give it a good old fashioned try? Oh, right, <laughs> you know. And in my case, I went all in. Yeah. Um. But I'm going to have the business systems in place. Right. To make it happen because I do want to make money. With it. I know it's possible. Yeah. Um. You know. Again, and we did have this conversation yesterday about separating that aching feeling from it. Right. But it's like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Like if you know it's possible and you absolutely love it. Sure. The admin bits are not for everybody. Some people like them, some people yeah. don't. And that's okay. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I love, love them, myself, which is fine. I get it from my mom. She's a business that like, my parents own their own business. And it's like, my dad's the creative architect. My mom runs the business and the numbers and the marketing. And so like, I get that side from her. Like, I love that side of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I did marketing this a major because I did enjoy that right. very much. But um, understanding that's like, if you don't enjoy it as a business owner or an artist, either, Understand that it's a necessary evil that's needed, or delegate it out to make sure someone else can do it for you. Yep, there's and, like your only options. Not doing it is not an option if you want to become a profitable business. Exactly, and it's like think about it. You know, if we go back to our pastry example, <laughs> we need shop. to have pastries next. Yeah, we're gonna have a, a pastry shop situation <laughs> in here or <Art> in pastries. <laughs> 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 New branding coming soon, guys. <laughs> no, but seriously, think about it. It's like, okay, if you have someone that has a pastry shop, it's not usually. It's not just one person. Generally, you'll yeah. have, like, okay, the person up front, the person in the back. Right. Like, you may have somebody doing social media. You may yeah. have someone doing the cleaning. You may have, like, a packaging supplier, a yeah. marketing team. Yeah. yeah, so it's like you'll have internal and external partners. Internal partners might be your employees and contractors, and then externals is other people you work with. Yeah. So as an artist, think about it this way. You might be like, well, I'm broke. Who am I going to delegate to? Well, it's kind of like, well, once you sell that mini, you need to set some of that money aside. Right. We'll Put it back the into the business. at some point." Yeah. But you have to reinvest that money at yeah. some point. So, for example, an easy one for us to delegate as artists is framing. Do you oh, really yeah. want to build your own frames? Nope. Most of us, the answer is no. So, whether you're buying nope. them or working with a framer, right, that will do them for you, you're already delegating photographs. Unless you have like a nice setup with cameras, whatever, your phone can do most of it. But chances are, for some of the submissions that you're going to apply for, you actually need a DSLR or something. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. They, they ask, or if you're going to print larger items, yeah. like make products you're, or licensing, you're going to need something a little bigger. So at yeah. that point, who do you, you know, Who do you use? Photographer. Right. Um, bookkeeping. That's a common one. People pay an accountant to help them with their taxes for yeah. their business. An assistant. A multi-purpose, yeah, help with all the things, to do. Like assistant. keeping track of your art inventory, which ones are at which gallery, how long are they there for? When do they come back? And right. what exhibition? And am I missing stuff? Is it listed on the website? Yeah. You know, like you can have people help you out and you don't have, to, oh, building a website. Some people just yeah. would rather pay somebody else to do it. Or do their social media. There are a lot of social media right. out there that will do it for you. So it's like identifying maybe at first, I still think it's important that you do all of it at first. At yeah, least to you know degree. it'll make it easier for you to know what to ask for from somebody else. Right. When you're asking them. So giving it a try, maybe not necessarily don't get a DSLR don't need to but you know what I mean? Kind of like right. get the feel of what the different things are that you need are first, by right? giving them a try. And then you can decide understand oh, I think it's, somebody else yeah i think it's also like understanding trying everything just like with the art making process like try everything but then see where your strengths are so and it could even be a situation of like you make a, an artist connection of like hey you have all the photography equipment and i'm good at building websites maybe we can do an exchange exactly. of like i'll help you build up these landing pages And like for the next three months, let's get together and photograph artwork together, like having some type of exchange, even rather than payments that you can figure out what your strengths are, what you can offer other people. And then like community over competition mindset is really lifting each other up so that you both win and can both like artists are super talented. And I think that's a huge thing that people take for granted when we are artists is like how. Versatile and creative, our skill set can be applied. Yeah, exactly. It's literally part of our job, right? I may not know the answer to this, but maybe I know someone that does, right? You know, and we network with each other. You know, even even some of the shyest ones that I know, yeah, do some level of networking and exchange resources and exchange ideas. So it's like, I can, right? And I think from that standpoint, it's like it's an awareness of where your strengths and weaknesses lie, which. As like a coping mechanism, a lot of the time we can kind of just not face it at all, because yes, in order to figure out your strengths, you have to admit where your weaknesses are, which is very difficult for some people to do. But I think it's more empowering to know that so that you know where you can delegate out or where you need to ask for help, Um, because ultimately building a business is back to make it so you have more time and resources to make your artwork. And that's ultimately what we're all trying to do as emerging artists. Like what can we build in order to give us more time to make the work that we enjoy making. And like all of us do it for the process, right? Like we talked about in our last video of, once you make the piece, like the process is yours. The art making process is yours. But then once the piece is complete, you have to find who it belongs to. Find who it belongs to. It's like, I was explaining to a friend the other day, So where we're talking about like mental health and therapy. And I was like, honestly, I've seen a therapist in the past and I don't actively see one now, but I was like, I feel like right now in my life, art is my therapy. (laughs) It isn't necessarily this like peaceful, relaxing process. Typically I get very like in my own thoughts and it becomes heavy. It's very internal. It's very internal, unpacking ideas, concepts, life experiences. And I do that through my art. where then it's he was like wait a minute so you treat your art making process like therapy (laughs) and then you sell your artwork she's like are you getting paid to go to therapy is basically how you think of it i'm like Uh, kind uh, of i've never thought of it that way maybe we found a loophole as artists so like (laughs) we use this process to better get to know ourselves and then sharing that with the world but maybe but there's a dark side to that though right and i I think someone that needs we'll just throw it out there obviously we're not health professionals it's right for, but if it's it depends what you're going through as well right, right. through a therapist that might be more guided right and through the art you can go really dark a down dark path right and yes. not know how to get back so there very is are very true there is health that. professionals are very valuable yes they are and I think it's one of those and where art therapists out there too which are really true really cool. where it's like where I am it's just simply not a specific trauma per se or anything super heavy that i have to work through but it's more just like getting a deeper understanding okay. of who i am or like like uh patterns that i recognize with my personality it's nothing that needs a professional help um but surface level we could just say it's a de Right. We all suffer different kinds of stresses in our life. Whether yeah. Whether it's like a traffic jam or a boss that, oh my goodness. Please yeah. You know, whatever the case may be. So I'm like, worst case scenario, we can treat it as basically like our respite or sanctuary. Like this is our safe space. Right. We can work out those feelings and thoughts and things like that. And, and the product becomes something beautiful. It does. And something people connect to, actually, even if it isn't beautiful, sometimes they'll connect to it anyways even more so which is i know which is crazy when somebody looks at something like an abstract and they identify exactly what you were thinking without even seeing a title nothing like yeah idea what it's about and they're like oh that reminds me of a time blah 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 blah. and you're like get out of my head did you read my sketchbook what are you doing yeah (laughs) do do you watch everything i do and that's when you know it's like that's the right collector for that piece like, yeah. when, they, like when they and they get it, it. right which i think is also interesting because when i was talking to my friend it was they were like asking about concepts behind my work and i almost i hesitate before really releasing that to a lot of people because and i think a lot of artists are that way that have that mindset of the piece belongs to the person that's meant to own it because they bring their own life experiences to it. They bring their own emotions and stories. And like their relationship with the piece is maybe completely different than your original intention, but it doesn't make it any less valid. And I think that's where that conversation of people like, Oh, I just don't get art. I don't understand it. But like, there's nothing necessarily to get quote unquote. But it's whatever you receive from a piece, that experience and the emotion that you Which have, that that's everyone's interpretation is valid. Like if you don't connect with it, you're that's not okay. You're not supposed to. And I think that's what's cool about like where we have our studios, at art space. There's like over 30 different artists here. And so we used to come here all the time, even like before we had studios here because Friday, yeah, so. because you could go down the hallway and it's like a sculptor and then a jewelry maker and then an oil painter and then like an acrylic painter and then hyper realism. And it's cool being able to see so many different skill sets and styles in one space. And you're not going to connect with all of them. Right, that's you're not going to connect with all of them. And that's why I love bringing friends here, because it's like, all right, some everyone's bound to like at least one person. And you kind of scatter, and be like, oh, did you see that person down the hall? Or no, but did you see that person upstairs? And like everyone's going to come away with at least one style they connect with, which I think is what's so cool about the art making process. It's like there is room for everyone like community over competition everyone has their own voice as an artist and everyone has their own style that other people are going to connect with exactly and it's like it also turns into let's say we go through a landscape artist our interpretation of it is going to be different the right side to them could be different we could even use the same color palette same medium same sizes right. it'd be so like, different a lot of it could be the same even if our styles were very similar which obviously they're not an <laughs> Yeah. an example, people are gonna connect to it differently. They right. They may connect with you as a person and or with your artwork. Right. At a level that if they connect with you, they may not connect with me and vice versa. There right. may be someone that connects with me that doesn't connect with you, even though in our hypothetical example, we're doing something almost the same. Right. Exactly. So it's like, that's the part where when some artists are like, oh, I don't wanna share my secrets and and that like they're very oh guarded and i know it, it, <laughs> madam, and it's fun you know you share what i'm you like i'm just asking with. what brand of paint you use like or what type of tape you use yeah. to make this geometric line i'm like like i've been working on this technique for six years and blah 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 i'm like all oh, right exactly good luck with like, that yeah i know i'm like in my mind i'm like you know what even if i tried to replicate exactly what you did and i'm not i mean yeah. i know they're professional art copyists out there that's a whole different ballpark but for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everybody else you're going to meet you can't replicate what you do right so who cares you know and i think that's a cool part of it it. Yeah, yeah like the artist becomes is so much of the process yeah and like by putting our emotions through it and like that art making process is seen in the end piece or felt in the end piece exactly which is what makes it unique to that artist Second. Which I think, especially as like, a brand or as an art business, why incorporating your ideas and who you are and your stories are so important to it. Because it's not some mass-produced print right. at Target. Like, what is the difference between that for $40 and your original piece of artwork? Like, there is those stories and that emotion and that process. And that's what people invest in and they yeah. feel connected to just exactly. so fun. Yeah, we'll have to have a longer conversation on decorative versus like meaningful oh, you know, yeah. connection. Um, yeah, it's definitely. A yeah. <laughs> of like mass produced. Like, yeah, yeah, all that fun different stuff. Ramble, different yeah. Ramble. But with that, we should probably both go start painting. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, speaking We've of art. long enough. Speaking yeah. of art making process, we both need to go paint. But. Thank you guys for listening in to today's episode of the Art Studio Insights podcast. We have new episodes released every Tuesday. Um, and if you want to follow us in between episodes, you can reach out to us on social media. I am at Jay Sanders Studio across all platforms. And I'm at, um, at MAA across all <laughs> platforms. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya! Bye! <laughs>